Ernest Hemingway once said, when people talk, listen completely. Time to take his words to heart and listen completely for the advice and insights you need as a marketing leader with an episode of CMO Convo. Sales and marketing, two departments that are so reliant on each other and yet so often at odds. When they're copacetic, it's golden. When they're unaligned, it can be a disaster. Z Jeremick, CEO of Mass Engines, joins us to lay down the ultimate what, why, and how of achieving sales and marketing alignment. This episode is sponsored by Dream Data. Sales and marketing alignment can be more than just sitting in the same office and attending the same meetings. To really bridge the gap, you need to track the same journey and work off the same metrics. A go-to-market data platform like Dream Data connects all your marketing and sales activities under one roof to make sure everyone is swimming in the same direction. Hi, Z. Welcome to CMO Convo. How are you doing today? Hi, Will. Pleasure to be here. Well, it's a pleasure to have you here, Z, because it's a topic of conversation that's almost a tale as old as time talking about sales and marketing alignment. But I know it's one that our audience is always keen to talk about, so I'm very happy to have you here, Z. But before we start getting into all that juicy goodness of aligning those things that should work together but rarely do, maybe you could introduce yourselves to our audience, tell us a bit about your professional background and why you want to talk about this topic at the moment. Sure, happy to do so. Um, Z Jeremick, um, I will say a master consultant. Um, really, I've, I've been uh, focusing on the enterprise software space, specifically on marketing and sales, um, automation technologies, but more importantly, the methodologies. How do the businesses actually employ these systems um, to drive results? And more often, as I think is, uh, should be understood. It's really not the systems. It's the business process. It's the approach that's taken, uh, on the marketing and sales side that actually, that, that actually ultimately drives results. So that's what I'm focused on. That's what I'm passionate about. And I would argue when you're looking at results, uh, within the marketing and sales arena, it's generally fairly easy to evaluate, hard to measure, but ultimately it's, it's, it is about revenue. And again, when you look at the sales side, fairly easy to measure is the revenue being generated. When you look at the marketing side, most organizations, much more difficult to measure it. Um, however, ultimately, uh, a company's growth is determined, and especially when you get into scaling, it's determined by the effectiveness of the marketing team and the ability of marketing and sales team to actually align and drive the same message in the marketplace. Great stuff. Yeah. I mean, that is the ultimate goal, isn't it? For any, any business to have these two very important aspects of business working in concert with each other. But what does that actually mean? Like, what do we mean by alignment? Because it's a term that gets thrown around a lot. We talk about teams being misaligned. We talk about like, oh, we need to achieve alignment. But what does that actually mean at the end of the day? Because it, it feels like one of those buzzwords get, that gets thrown around without actually defining what it actually looks like to have an aligned sales and marketing department. No, I'm so glad you're, 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 you're digging into it because I do feel the conversation, the conversations do get lost. Uh, the, the, the purpose of the conversation does get lost exactly. You said in the buzzwords and in the platitudes of discussing the concept rather than again, the goal and the outcome that we're looking to drive. So when we're looking at sales and marketing alignment, uh, the reason this is important today even though you could argue, you know, uh, aligning teams, uh, oftentimes is, is professed to be beneficial, 
But really, when you look at it historically, especially when we're looking at B2B marketing and sales, the these teams operated in silos, and that was absolutely functional, which is why there was really no reason, strong business reason to, to actually align these teams and have them work together. You had marketing responsible for brand and awareness, and you had sales responsible for everything else, right? Once uh, the brand is established, once there's awareness in the marketplace around what a company does and how, how it can add value, which is really, again, that awareness that marketing is responsible or has been historically responsible for building. At that point, the prospect, you know, picks up the phone and calls or reaches out to the organization or the sales rep proactively reaches out. And the whole conversation between, between the prospect and the organization is carried through by the sales rep. Historically, this has always been how it's functioned. And it, so there was there any reason to align sales and marketing? No, not really. I mean, again, generally speaking, of course there is. But specifically in terms of uh, driving results, there really wasn't. Marketing was responsible for brand and awareness. Sales was responsible for closing the deal and taking the prospect through that journey. What has changed over the last 10, 20 years, let's say, is that the prospect, we now have a situation because of the information explosion that has happened over the last 10 or 20 years. You know, you talk about internet, you could talk about social media, um, and its ability to, con con you can talk about communities that have been emerging over the last, you know, few years, is the reality is that the buyer has unprecedented access to information and and also, I think a keen awareness that fundamentally the sales rep is trying to sell them. They're not necessarily looking out for the prospect's best interest. They're looking out for their company's best interest. So what we have now on the, on, in the buying cycle is, is, is essentially a power uh, dynamic shift in favor of the buyer. Historically, if the buyer was interested in solving a problem, they had to talk to sales reps. That was the only way to discover potential solutions. They don't have to talk to sales reps anymore. They can, they can go online and do research on their own. They can go into communities and talk to their peers, right? They can use uh, against social media. You can look at uh, platforms like Twitter and LinkedIn, where you you can, you know, ad hoc dynamically connect to a a, a network of peers that you're not even connected to. You're not even that actually have similar interests or in a similar position, and you can talk about how they're solving their problems. So what's happened is that increasingly prospects today, and we're seeing this year over year, it's becoming more obvious uh, in larger organizations when we're talking to the sales teams are starting to notice it as well, is that the prospects are saying now, I'm not ready. Why don't you send me some information? I will get back to you. Why are they doing that? Because they, they're ultimately getting, they can get information elsewhere. And so what's happening is that that crucial period of discovery, of research, of evaluation that a company, or again, the specific members of a buying team within a company are going through is no longer facilitated by the sales reps. And so now the question becomes, okay, well, if the sales rep is not facilitating, who is? Well, the buyer is in charge. However, marketing has an opportunity to facilitate, to offer valuable information 
and perspectives to the buyer as they're doing their own research. But now what's happened is that the essentially marketing is now entering what is traditionally being considered a sales domain. And as that happens, it's becoming more crucial than ever for, I'll say, sales and marketing to align to actually around how the company wishes to portray itself, how we're talking to the prospect, how we're building those relationships, and more importantly, when should sales get involved? And I think that this is really that crucial uh, juncture of if in in the past the sales would got involved immediately, right? As soon as the prospect raises their hand, sales got involved. That's no longer the case. So when's the right time for sales to get involved? It's when the prospect is ready, and the agreement on what that is within a company really needs to come from an explore understanding the buyer journey and helping map it, and then identify the business process around when marketing is responsible and when sales are responsible. And the flip side of that, I'll just finish here. The flip side of that is that just like uh, that agreement on when sales gets involved is crucial, it's also becoming more important than ever for their, for marketing to gain visibility in terms of the outcomes. Because now if marketing is investing substantially uh, into managing a part of the the buyer's journey and they need to start being able to quantify the impact of those investments and so it becomes important to align not just around when is the right time for for sales to get engaged versus marketing but also around what is the outcome of those uh investments that marketing has made into facilitating the buyer journey uh on revenue so it feels like we've very much moved away from the model of marketing generates a lead and it's job done. They don't have to worry about that ever again. That lead goes off to sales and they sales works their magic. But we've moved away from that model. Why are there still issues with sales and marketing alignment? What are the big obstacles that are preventing this kind of shared approach to it? But particularly developing this kind of agreement of when sales needs to be involved and also who sales needs to be involved with as well um like how do you define what is a, a sales qualified lead right now like how that what it was stopping companies from having this kind of shared approach to it uh i mean uh, to be blunt um malaise and nui uh lack <laughs> of visibility uh but really most importantly it's the natural human resistance to change uh, if when you look at it, like again, like I would say, as in it, most individuals have accepted this is the case, but when you look organizations, again, we primarily work with larger organizations. So you're talking, you know, mid market enterprise, you know, let's say 100 million plus in revenue. These are large, complex systems. And so, and these large, complex systems are primarily the larger you are, the more protective you are. You're trying to protect what you build and change is risky, change is dangerous. And so there's a tendency to reproduce what works or what has worked or what the, has the appearance of having worked. So while I think, you know, as individuals, uh, most of us understand that the buying journey has changed and how the buyer's bias changed, 
the reality of how organizations operate, especially again, larger organizations, is that marketing, like you said, like it's interesting you mentioned that marketing generates lead. So the reality is that most organizations, there's marketing has a KPI around number of leads generated. And there is, there has, there has very little conversation and especially business process built around qualifying the lead, not just generating. I'll give you a great example of, of this. So probably the easiest one to talk about is trade shows. Mm-hmm. So most companies still go to trade shows. I mean, thankfully the, the pandemic seems to be behind us. Trade shows are going to come back, you know, in force and at a trade show, a company is going to make a significant marketing is going to make a significant investment in, you know, hundred thousand dollars in the low end, let's say a million dollars on the high end. And they're going to have a booth presence. They're going to have marketing activities to drive traffic. What's going to happen is that let's say the company is going to scan a thousand people at that trade show. When they come back from the trade show, the reality is let's say 900 out of those thousand people were just stopping by. They were curious. They wanted the tchotchke. They just, you know, they were just learning. They, they're not anywhere in the buying process. But what's going to happen uh, after a trade show, marketing's going at, great, we generated a thousand leads. And now they're going to send those thousand leads to sales and it's on sales to follow up with those leads. Now, again, 20 years ago, generally speaking, this probably made sense, right? So yeah, there's a thousand leads to stop by the booth, sales, go call these thousand people and see if they're interested. But again, that's, that's not the world we live in anymore. However, the reality is that marketing will still generate a thousand leads. They will increase their, uh, you know, that, that, that the attainment of their quota towards leads generated by a thousand, those thousand are going to go into, let's say Salesforce be generated leads. And now the sales team has to pick them up. That's usually BDRs, SDRs, inside sales, whatever the term is, they have to pick up and call those thousand people. However, this is now where we're starting to get into the silos and the disconnects between these teams. While marketing is measuring the number of leads generated, sales is generally measuring the number of, like inside sales SDRs are measuring the number of opportunities generated from, the, from those leads or other activities. So, and, and again, similarly, sales is always uh, measured specifically on revenue. Or again, if you're inside sales, so you're not closing the deals, you're measuring the number of opportunities generated. So if I'm a sales rep sitting in that queue and I get a thousand leads and I know from experience, I've seen it, 900, 950, whatever, 990 of those are not going to convert because they just want a tchotchke for their, uh, you know, for their, for their kid. Then am I going to spend the next week calling those 900? Probably not because again, I'm not measured on activity. I've measured on results, measured on opportunities created. So in some ways, I'm probably better off taking the time and sometimes cold calling, sometimes prospecting, uh, literally like visiting. Some some teams will still go visit local businesses because that's something that I control and and something that I've seen the kind of results I can generate rather than, again, this hodgepodge. So what ends up happening is that it's, there's an invisible disconnect in these organizations. Marketing is measuring their 
attainment. And they're like, yep, we're hitting our targets. Generate those thousand leads. Sales is measured on number of opportunities generated. And sales is essentially checking that box. They got to be checking that box one way or another. The question is, are they checking their box based on the marketing activities? Or are they checking the box based on their own? And what we're finding in most organizations, their inside sales is checking that box based on their own prospecting activities and their own and their own uh, efforts, much more so on than on the marketing side. And what, and how how this manifests oftentimes again it's invisible until right you and usually what we're seeing now demand gen teams or more savvy marketing teams are starting to see that. There's no, there's very little to no follow up on the sales side, and they're basically kind of, and now, and now the recriminations begin, because now marketing is saying, well, you know, like well, we spent a million dollars to go to that trade show. It's, you know, our, it's the cornerstone of our industry. Everyone's there. We always there. Like we're generating a thousand leads. Sales never followed up on those. These are valuable leads. Sales on the other hand, so what's wrong with sales? Sales on the other hand is in there and be like, yeah, those are bum leads. They're not leads. Their names. And I actually have a better process on my side for how I generate names based on our sales process that will convert to opportunities at a higher clip than this collection of folks who just stopped by the booth. So that's really, again, when we're looking at the, I would say the result of this misalignment is essentially, I will say, again, a, a fairly significant waste of marketing resources that's invisible in most organizations. And so it goes back to this, this whole, the notion of the marketing budgets are discretionary be, and if they're discretionary, and it's the first thing that gets cut in a, in a, in a recession, uh, because no one can understand what is the result, the outcome of those investments. And so, and again, when you actually scratch the surface, you can see that there is a lot of waste and a little bit of alignment can go a long way. And again, I'm, I'm, I'm how I'll, I'll turn it back to you, but I'm happy to talk a little bit about what organizations can do. Because again, they, short of sitting around talking about alignment, there's actually specific, tangible, actionable steps that are actually not even that difficult to put in place that will manifestly um, reduce the negative impact of this type of misalignment. Definitely, definitely. Um, I'd, I'd love to hear these steps because it sounds like there's maybe three sort of main things to think about. There's misalignment in terms of the actual goals for both the teams. Like, what, are they actually working towards the same objective at the end of the day? Um, it sounds like there's a misalignment in terms of visibility, um, in terms of attribution as well. And it sounds like almost like a, a cultural difference as well. So I think those are sort of like the three pillars, unless there's something else I'm missing there, Z. You nailed it. I mean, you nailed it. Great stuff. So yeah, let's dig into sort of like how we start fixing these three different misalignments. Like what what, what are your big steps that CMO it, should be looking at? Very straightforward. And again, we've done this at that lower end, let's say a hundred million dollar organization. We've done this at the higher, let's say like a 50 or a hundred billion dollar organization. And the process is actually eerily similar and and actually fairly straightforward and the results are consistent. So I, I, and I would say it's the cult, we'll start with the cultural, the cultural step. It takes, it takes an appreciation for 
uh, understanding where each group is coming from. Again, very different historically uh, and even today, very different mindsets, very different measures of what they're trying to achieve. So take that into account. Um, so for example, and here's how we usually approach it. We're approaching it from the point of view of quantify the, the challenge. So how many leads are being sent that are never being followed up on? For example, um, you as a humble, no fault approach, this is kind of a development and that has negative impact on, on, on the funnel and the revenue, which everyone really should care about fundamentally. And let's approach it from the point of view, understanding that this, we need to take the shortest path. The shortest path is getting the key stakeholder on the sales side, usually let's say director of inside sales, maybe manager of SDRs, um, and signal to them that we wish to make sure that as an organization, that the best leads are being sent that are ready to for sales, which will drive improvement and conversion on the sales side, which is ultimately what sales wants. And that the only thing we need, we want to make sure it's a data-driven exercise. The only thing we need is we really want to make sure we're taking sales perspective into account when we're looking to solve this problem. And it's it's and so essentially what what, what the uh, what we do then is analyze the for example the opportunities. What actually converts? What is the profile of an op successful opportunity or even opportunity in general? Uh, which usually says a lot about sales converts into an opportunity who they're trying to sell to. Then basically regroup with that key stakeholder on the sales side uh, and actually get their input, right? And usually I, I, I like to ask one question. It's the end of the day. There's three leads sitting in your queue. You only have time to call one. How do you decide which one to call? Ooh, that's a very good question. That's a very right? good question. Yeah, yeah. Right. Because, and that, that I think takes away all of the mumbo jumbo around, who do you feel, who do you feel is right? And what do you look for is that, who do you call? What's the criteria that you look at in those, th amongst those three leads to determine which one you're going to, and that oftentimes gets right to the, to the core of it. And we combine that input with the, the data driven input. We essentially then look at designing a model on the marketing side to say, okay, those thousand leads, let's run them through this filter. And what ends up happening again, that the, and again, these models are never perfect. That's not the point. The point is that you cut out most of the junk. So you cut out 50 or 60% of the junk leads that are really not leads. They're just names. They're people who might be interested. But again, if you think about it, marketing has a bigger role now to play in warming up these leads. Keep them with the marketing side. They're not ready for sales yet. Send the rest of sales. However, in exchange for this, and basically, again, this is part of the agreement, is that we will send you higher quality leads that you tell us you want to see. You need to follow up on every single one. So now you get agreement that every single lead will be followed up on and disposed of. So again, if it's junk, qualified as junk. Called it. I called it three times or it literally says Mickey Mouse. Okay, well, that's that's something you know we can then take back and so what ends up happening is because now every lead is being followed up on every lead is being disposed of what you're getting is continual stream of feedback around what leads are actually converting and what are not and you keep improving the model so that you only send the most qualified leads and so again 
this might seem, and I know this is a, 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 a conversation that really, again, we're, we're looking to speak to this, you know, the CMO is the really good audience here. So this sounds, might seem like a very tactical exercise uh, at the CMO level. I certainly appreciate that. I, I would argue that when you bubble this up, there's a massive impact to how marketing organizations budget and 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 therefore uh, which activities and, and, and even how, how strategies are formulated. Because here's what happens. Once every need is followed up on, now we have a direct connection because now it's also the leads the marketing sending are being followed up on and we can now follow them through the funnel to opportunity, which is pipeline, and to close, which is revenue. So now we have a direct connection from the marketing activities that are generating not just lead, but are generating opportunities, generating revenue. Now all of a sudden, we're changing the conversation at the executive le level around how marketing activities are driving not brand necessarily an awareness because these things are difficult to quantify, but how are they driving pipeline and revenue? Which is again a fundamentally different conversation for for I would argue for any executive to have, because now we're talking about marketing as a profit center rather than as a cost center in an organization, and that change completely changes the conversation with your for a CMO with their CFO, with their VP of Sales, and with their CEO. You literally took the words out of my mouth there. See, that's exactly what I was thinking right there. Like this, this isn't just a way of working more effectively with your CRO um, or your head of sales, it elevates your status within the business as a whole. It gives you a lot more clout, gives you a lot more, a lot more to play with in terms of being able to like push forward interesting, exciting initiatives that you might not have been able to when you're working on this kind of just throw as many leads at the wall and see what sticks model. So yeah, definitely like if a rising tide raises all boats at the end of the day, I suppose. Um, so. Let's talk about how the actual teams need to be working together. Like what kind of, what kind of shared tools do they need? What kind of setups do they need? Do we need to have like a marketer and a salesperson working as like a duo kind of thing, or is it more complex, complex than that? Yeah. So then, yeah, I think that's a very, very, very good question around how do you actually go about this again? Let's get out of kind of the high level. Uh, fuzzy dozzy conversations. Um, I think it's really fascinating. Uh, you know, again, we've been, you know, evangelizing these concepts for about 10 years now. Um, and I think that what's amazing is that they're coming to the forefront. What we're seeing now is that analysts are starting to write about this, right? So you're seeing companies like Gartner and Forrester write about uh, the need for uh, companies to focus on their revenue engine. We're seeing them, them write about the need for companies to establish a revenue operations team in order to actually be able to drive these types of activities uh, and subsequent outcomes forward. So I think that's the easiest way to look at this is that, and again, in most organizations, let's talk about practical rather than hot pie in the sky. The reality is that every, pretty much every organization has a sales operations department. The reality is in most organizations, the sales operations department is fairly tactical and low level um, and not really driving results, even though that, you know, they were, they're, they're really there to enable sales teams to drive results. However, they've mostly been demoted to like, hey, we're 
maintaining your CRM system, your sales uh, system, and we're, you know, loading some data in at best. Um, but that team exists. So does in most organizations over the last 10 years, in marketing organizations, they've set up marketing operations team to own the technology on the, that's been rapidly evolving as part of the most marketing practice, B2B practices. So really, those are your, I would say the more senior, more strategic elements of those teams can actually start collaborating, working together, not just to maintain the systems, but to actually look at the process. And the easiest way to do that, if the, if they do not have these resources, is to, I would say the best way to look at it is that to, to look at uh, resources such as business analysts, right? Or folks who have experience, let's say uh, five or 10 years experience with, uh, let's say marketing operations, revenue operations, to actually start driving this type of alignment. Or again, they can work with uh, consultants such as ourselves who can help bridge that gap in the short term while they build out their own teams. So when it, when it comes to moving forward into the future, let, let's, I know we've, we've talked about the practicalities, but let's talk about how things might develop in the future. Um, firstly, what's going to happen to businesses that don't get themselves in order, don't have an aligned marketing and sales team? Are they just going to crumple into dust or is there a way for this existing model to still keep sustaining itself? I mean, I, I like to stay away from catastrophic thinking. Like, you know, but, but what is interesting is that uh, what's, what is happening already, and this is the thing, like 10 years ago, it was hard to see. It's very apparent now. Um, and what's happening already, again, still, um, the organizations that don't adapt are going to st slowly start losing, losing out on the opportunity to have conversations with the relevant prospects. And again, it's going to seem like it's external factors, right? Well, you know, the, the recession, COVID, you know, our industry is changing. But there is actually something very real. Again, you just need to scratch the surface along the lines of what we're discussing here to actually see that there's you know, you're just not getting access to this to these prospects uh, because your your marketing is not actually uh, helping them navigate, and your sales is is trying to establish the conversation outside the bounds of again the empowered buyer. The buyer's in charge. And if, if you're not in the early enough part of the conversation, you will likely be excluded from the conversation because what's going to happen with the other side of this, the companies that embrace this, um, what that's going to happen is that the marketing teams are, and this is already began, it's been happening over the last few years. The, uh, companies that embrace effective content. And again, not content. Again, this is also an evolution of content is that it's not about content such as here's 10 blogs that you know recycle themes. It's content that focuses on the buyer struggles, the buyer questions, right? That's there to enable the buyer. Um, those companies are essentially going to increasingly have an ability to interact with the buyer digitally because the buyer is gonna be consuming their content. So guess what happens when uh, a buyer consumes your content? They get to get your point of view. Honestly, in my view, the biggest difference between companies competing in a space is how they what they see the problem to be in that space. And if if you're consuming my content, 
and I can, my chances are you're going to start seeing that you're going to start seeing the challenges of the space from my perspective, which means my solution will be the default solution for you and not my competitors. So that's, you know, that's really what they take. And you can see kind of some of the companies that started this over, let's say, over the last five years. And I'll give you really an interesting example. I think it's a fascinating example. And it's a little bit from a B2C space, but I think it's an interesting example for how um, pervasive this idea of the empowered buyer is. There's a company uh, in Massachusetts called Yale Appliances. They sell appliances. Very, very like old school business, right? And what's fascinating is they they embrace this approach of buyer enablement, digital buyer enablement. It's fascinating, right? Because if you think about it, the way people buy, have historically bought appliances, you walk into the appliance store, you mm -hmm. talk to someone there and you buy the appliance. But again, the empowered buyer is very aware that you, when you walk into the appliance store, you're going to be steered by the sales rep in the appliance store towards whatever they're, they're, they're going to make the most money on. And they may not even know or care about what's really important to you. So what's happening? Again, the buyer's empowered. The buyer's doing more research online. Yale has invested a ton of resources and built a library of content uh, around appliances. And again, it's not about what they do. It's about which appliance, what's the best dishwasher, right? For example, uh, or what's the best high-end dishwasher or, you know, what's the best drying feature in a dishwasher. So there's a variety of content that serves the buyer in their discovery. And what's happening is that their, their business is boomed because the buyers are doing research and what's happening, they're increasingly interacting with their content. Their, their brand is building trust through that content. And at the end of the journey, they just want, they're just going to buy it from them. So the same dynamic is playing out at a much higher level in in the b2b world with how how businesses are researching solutions and determining what the next step needs to be for them i mean it's it's very interesting to think about in those terms i mean we've hit i mean i think we're at a point where b2c and b2b is bleeding into each other more than ever before the way we're working is different the way we're living is quite different as well like a lot more people working from home they're living in their work their workspaces so why wouldn't you want your way you buy from B2C companies to be similar to the way you buy from B2B companies? Like, why wouldn't you want it to be as convenient? Why wouldn't you want to be able to do research on your own and investigate like reviews and testimonials and stuff? So if someone's buying in a certain way in, from, in their personal life, we should try and reflect that to some degree when it comes to their business life as well, I suppose. One thing that's just sprung to mind in terms of a potential impact that not sorting this issue out is there's talent retention. Um, at the end of the day, like this kind of information, this isn't just proprietary information for CMOs and C-suite executives. Like this is something that your employees and your workers will be aware of. And if they're in a situation, if they're in an environment where it's very obvious that sales and marketing aren't aligned and it's not effective, they're going to look to go somewhere else because at the end of the day, salespeople get paid by commission. They're going to go where they can make the most commission. That's going to be in places where they have these properly aligned departments. Similar with marketing as well. If they're being judged on the wrong KPIs and ultimately losing their, their jobs and their roles because of that, you could be losing some very, very talented marketers just because you don't have the right measurement and the right tools and the right processes in place. Absolutely. I mean, I think that 
again, we increasingly, uh, the economy is becoming a knowledge economy. And in the knowledge economy, the uh, fundamentally, what people are looking for is purpose. And when you look at it, what differentiates, again, from a CMO's point of view, what's going to enable a CMO to retain the best talents? It's, it's going to be um, beyond, right, an ability to market a product that they perhaps like or, or, or believe in. It's going to be um, alignment with, again, I'll use the word alignment, it's the wrong word here, but it's going to be really a, a, a purpose around how we're doing marketing differently and how, how we're doing marketing actually reflects how people are buying today. So I think that, that this is really kind of, again, looking at it from a high-level CMO point of view, this is, uh, I think, a huge potential for from a from a talent retention especially the high quality talent who are seeing really the again marketing be a discretionary you know line item that gets cut who are seeing uh marketing consistently invest in activities that may not be driving results and there's no visibility into what kind of results are being driven and ultimately that undermines for any any driven again any driven knowledge worker, that lack of outcome purpose you know purpose it just gets it gets lost. What am I doing here? I want to see. I want to believe that I'm working towards something, and I, I really tr truly believe that providing an environment that caters to the buyer, right, and the buyer's needs, the empowered buyer, uh, actually works. In, in tandem with providing a sense of purpose for your own best knowledge worker talent that can actually innovate and connect your company to those buyers. And, and, for, and for yourself as a CMO as well, at the end of the day, like feeling that you're having an impact and actually driving things forward in a, in a company that you must be fairly invested in if you're in the C-suite, surely. So... See, I think that's a great note, a great message to maybe close things out with. Like, if, let's pull things together, maybe into sort of your your top golden rules of marketing and sales alignment. Like, what should be the main things that CMOs should be looking out for to sort of drive this this process forward? Um, I think that at the at the big picture level is. Look at where the buyer is and where the buyer is going. Um, ultimately, we live in the world of the empowered buyer, serving the empowered buyer uh, with relevant content that helps them navigate the complexities of making a decision is ultimately how organizations will win. And that at the same time works very well with uh, aligning with sales around who's qualified, who's ready, and I, again, I, I'm going to just repeat that the the critical, the difference. Again, we're 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 beyond the the historical world of marketing where everybody just spends money on marketing because you understand you spend money on marketing, right? It's a uh, and and I think we really need to look at is that there is uh when with when we're talking about digital and most marketing is digital these days or is becoming digital these days 
is that there is a full ability to quantify the impact of the marketing efforts and focusing on transforming market marketing budget from a cost center into a profit center, I think is the biggest uh, boon for any aspiring CMO. It completely changes the conversation at the executive level around how marketing is, what purpose marketing serves in the organization. Fantastic. That's a great call to action at the end there, Z. Thank you very much. Um, as I said at the top of the episode, this is a, a topic that is so relevant to CMOs, to businesses right now. And it's a conversation that we seem to have been having for a long time, but it's a conversation we need to keep having and we need to keep reiterating this to people. So thank you very much for joining me today, Z. I'm sure the audience has loved your, uh, your insights. Thank you, well. Appreciate it. And thank you to our audience as well. We'll be back soon with some more CMO combos. Get Dream Data for free today by visiting dreamdata.io and help both teams start reporting on what matters most, revenue. Like what you heard from this CMO combo? Make sure you hit that subscribe button and leave a rating so the whole world knows how great it was.